You're listening to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast, a podcast for psychotherapy group practice owners where you learn the business side of running a group practice. I'm your host, Maureen Werbach. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Group Practice Exchange Podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Werbach. This episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. If you want two free months of everything with Therapy Notes, you can use the promo code The Group Practice Exchange or go to www.therapynotes.com forward slash R forward slash The Group Practice Exchange. All right, so today I want to talk about um, things that really shift when you scale a group practice beyond 20 clinicians. We talk a lot about what it's like to start a group practice what it's like to open a new location or add a new service, niche group practices versus multi-specialty group practices. But today I really want to talk um, a little bit about what shifts happen when you go to um, having more than 20 or so clinicians because there are some shifts that happen within the structure of your business um, that are really different than growing a smaller group practice. And so this episode is for all you larger group practice owners. I think you'll find... Um, some validation in some of the experiences that you had when listening to this, and maybe some pointers that you haven't yet thought of um, as you kind of get into this 15, 20, 25 uh, clinician practice. So there are some subtle and also not so subtle differences in how group practices will look and feel um, when they grow. One of the things is systems. Um, When you're a smaller group practice, oftentimes what happens is you essentially take the systems that you had in place as a solo clinician and apply it to your group practice and have your first uh, handful of therapists follow the policies and procedures and processes you had in your um, practice when you were solo. And there's a point, and typically it's around that 20 clinician mark, where you notice that it's sort of crucial to make a total system overhaul um, because the systems that you have in place are really only effective for a smaller amount of staff and you end up needing to make some of those system changes so that it can um, better accommodate a large group of people. It can better accommodate having um, different departments and different types of leaders um, within that group practice. So the first thing that I noticed uh, being a big change is the systems. Um, It was much easier to have clinicians do some of that work when we were smaller, like taking credit cards or uploading um, intake paperwork, maybe even answering their own calls in the beginning. But you'll find that as your practice grows, when you're at 20 clinicians, having 20 different hands in the pot is impossible. Having 20 clinicians schedule their own appointments or um, take payments or uh, upload intake paperwork really becomes problematic um, because it's harder to see that everything's being done in a timely fashion when you have you know, 20, 30 plus people in your practice. And so typically when you get to that size, you start to add more administrative staff so that they can support and streamline the administrative process and have clinicians really doing less work. You'll find that the larger group practices are the more that those clinicians are really just doing therapy and less of the other work. Um, to accommodate the fact that it gets really hard to be in charge and see that every clinician is doing all of those non-clinical things that need to be done. Uh, The next thing is as your systems are restructuring, you find that your own role as the group practice owner changes as well. When um, group practice owners, when group practices themselves are smaller, the group practice owner tends to do more 
of the leadership work. They're doing more of answering emails. The um, uh, as Jenna today, uh, Jenna Fleming brought up earlier in a Q and A call that we had today in the Exchange membership site. Um, like a lot of gnats, like flying in your face, right? You're just like swatting away questions, answering this question, answering that one, and you're not ending up spending a lot of your time productively doing the work that you really need to do as the group practice owner. And that really starts to happen. I think she had mentioned she's around at 12 to 13 clinicians. Like I said, when you get to around 15, 20, you really realize that you need to have um, have a look at what your role is in the group practice and make sure that it's in line with where, what you want to be doing, um, whether that's still seeing clients, uh, whether that's still doing the billing, payroll, supervising, um, or engaging in that day-to-day activity of the group practice. Um, typically, as you get larger, um, the group practice owner starts to really want to set their roots in doing that visionary work, what Mike Michalowicz talks about in clockwork, and doing less of that day-to-day, everyday stuff that needs to happen throughout the day that you can hire out for. And so typically in that around that 20 clinician mark is where group practice owners really start to feel overwhelmed, overworked, like they are doing a hundred things and none of them are that important. Um, like answering clinician emails and uh, changing website stuff and adding a uh, doing onboarding with a new clinician. And they're really missing out on the important part of owning a business, which is that visionary work. Um, it's like the lifeblood of making sure that your business continues to be sustainable and if you want that to continue to grow. Um, and so a, a huge shift, like I mentioned, is looking at your role and seeing where, where should it be at this point? Where do you want it to be? What energizes you? What makes you happy? What also supports the growth of your group practice? And as you, as your role shifts, um, you notice that there's a need typically for more leadership. I've yet to find group practices that have 20, 30 plus, um, clinicians where the group practice owner is the only person in a leadership position. I've talked a lot about what leadership positions can look like in my membership site. Uh, it depends totally on how you're structuring your group practice. Some will have a clinical director that oversees everything. Some will just have supervisors and have a handful of supervisors instead of a clinical director. Some will have both. Some will have practice managers. It really depends on what you're needing. Um, and I've talked a lot about steps and, and ways to figure out what it is that you actually do need and then what kind of job titles or leadership titles um, are in line with that. But typically, as you get to that 20 or more clinician mark, you find that you can't be the only leader. And that's usually when um, other leadership positions become imperative if you don't already have it by that point. Um, and it's also part of the scaling process. When you have multiple locations or you have one location that has 20, 30 plus offices, uh, you alone cannot manage all of that. And that's where, like I mentioned, clinical directors, team leads, supervisors, practice managers, onboarding coordinators, and other types of leadership positions become really important. And I've talked about this also is not only is it important for you to be able to do that visionary work, it's also really great for team culture because you're um, not – you don't have like this glass ceiling uh, with your client or with your clinicians where they can't move up any further. They're all stuck at um, one place. And like Radical Candor mentions, there's going to be people that are um, superstars and some that are rock stars. Those superstar types, they need that upward growth. And so you're kind of um, allowing for for two awesome things to happen. One, you getting that leadership support, but two, um, providing uh, more 
you know, more capacity for people who are those superstar types to do more work. Um, another thing that shifts when you get to becoming a middle to large size group practice is the need for departments. Um, so along with leadership, having a leadership, additional leadership, is the idea that you need more departments. You can't have one person working 40 hours a week who does all the billing and the reception work. Typically, when you get to that size, you realize there's a need for someone who's in charge of um, billing, someone who's in charge of uh, client care or intakes, someone who's an admin assistant who supports both of those roles when they're out. Um, I, I don't think I've ever seen a group practice who hasn't had this complaint and then came to the realization that this is what they need to do is when an intake person leaves, um, whether they get fired or they um, move up, move on, and then the group practice owner has to take on answering those phones then because they have one intake person or their biller um, ends up leaving or moving or whatever. And then the group practice owner has to start doing the billing again until they find someone else. When you get to the size of you know 20 or more clinicians, it's typically around the time where you realize that you have to have backup plans and backups to those backup plans. And so typically this is where the idea of department starts, where you have multiple billing people, multiple intake coordinators, and maybe some administrative uh, staff who learn the ropes of both the front end of the office and back end so that as people are on vacation or people are on maternity leave or leaving for whatever reason, there's someone in the wings that can um, at least temporarily take over that position and do that work as you look for a new person in that position. Um, I think this is like one of the biggest realizations that I had as I've grown my practice is the um, balance of being really um, not frugal, but like really aware of how I'm spending the, my money as a group practice owner and where it's being spent and not overspending, but also realizing that when you get to a certain size, you do need to spend more and maybe have more administrative support than what's really needed just to accommodate the fact that people come and go, people go on vacations and leave. Um, and so this is a, a huge realization that I had um, at, at some point in my group practice growth. And then also, I should say lastly, um, is the ebb and flow of finances that um, really happens as you grow your practice. We see a lot of conversations around new group practices where they feel like they can't pay themselves because they're using any profits that they're making to um, bring on new staff, to expand their offices. And then there's this place where you see group practice owners really start to talk about seeing the financial benefit of having a group practice. And it takes a really long time for a lot of group practices to get there. Um, but then you start to see that um, there's a point where the growth that you had from like 0 to 10 or 0 to 15 clinicians uh, in terms of overall profits doesn't actually double when you get from 15 to 30. Um, and you'll see that when you make big growth uh, spurts after around 20 clinicians, you don't actually see the um, same increment of profit benefits because of some of the things that I mentioned before, which is like this real need for increase in administrative support, uh, a lot extra output of, um, of income is going to go into just the structure of the practice. And so there's more points where you have maybe a growth of like six or seven clinicians where profits actually don't go up. They shouldn't go down, but they don't go up because you're using those profits to um, bring in more administrative support, maybe more marketing, more of um, other parts of your business. Um, but then you'll find that 
you know, you'll hire six or seven people and not see much profit increase. But then all of a sudden, you know, the next six or seven, you'll see a huge jump in profit. And then another six or seven clinicians you hire, there's again, not much profit happening um, because you're again, bringing on extra administrative staff, maybe bring, adding a location, maybe updating and um, bring, uh, getting new couches because your couches are all kind of falling apart from five years ago when you bought them. Um, and so this is an interesting ebb and flow that most larger group practice owners see is that they can make a big physical growth, but not actually have a big um, financial growth. And then there'll be another big physical growth, but it'll actually then yield a big financial growth. And then the next ebb and flow of a physical growth won't yield much of a profit growth. There's this um, ebb and flow that uh, is really interesting to see as you as you get larger because you do end up having to put a lot more efforts into um, administrative growth. Um, and then the last thing, I said that was the last thing, but there is one more thing, is the impact. Your impact really shifts as you become large and it's really fun to see when you become a middle to larger size group practice how you become a staple in the community. The group practice becomes this mental health go-to that really is um, harder to do when you're a smaller group practice among a lot of other group practices. And so I, I like this piece really the most. It's the most exciting to see um, as you become larger how um, like a household name your practice can become for the community because you know essentially it, the larger you get the more lives you can impact. And so those are the things that really in my mind, shift the most when you're scaling beyond 20, um, I'll say between 15 and, and 30 clients or clinicians in your practice. These things are things that every group practice owner sees as a shift and starts having to make some changes in how they're running their business on. It's almost like a rebirth, like starting over with your group practice because a lot of what you put into place, processes that you put into place, end up having to shift to accommodate the fact that you have so many more staff. Um, let me know if you have, if you're a large group practice or a medium-sized group practice that's 15 or more people, um, if there are other shifts that you noticed happening when you, um, as you grew, as you became larger, I'd love to know. All right, guys, have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Group Practice Exchange podcast. We'll see you next time.